This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Now we started this chapter last week and it presents to us, this whole chapter presents to us a series of parables and I know we had kind of a lengthy introduction to the parables last week but when we got into the very first one which is probably one of the most well-known ones that he's taught us and that was the parable of the sower and we went into depth in that last week quite a bit. We covered it pretty well I think but let's go ahead and We'll read through it and then jump right into the very next one. He says here in verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. This is actually after he presented the parable. He's now explaining it to his disciples. And if you'll remember last week we talked about, we used a phrase called the endowment of heaven or the endowment from heaven. And that is based on what Jesus said to his disciples. He had presented this parable to everyone that was gathered round about him. And if you'll remember, it was quite a crowd because he climbed into a boat, went out onto the water for a ways, stopped, turned around, taught them that were on the shore because it forms a natural amphitheater. It works really well that way. And then he, had, he gave them that parable, but they didn't really get it. But that was also according to prophecy. And so afterwards in verse 18, speaking to his disciples, not the people that were on the shore, speaking to his disciples, he explained that parable to them. And the reason was because of what he said in the, in the uh, paragraph prior to that. He said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. And then he referred to who spoke that prophecy or who spoke that prophecy concerning hearing they understand not and seeing that they see not. And this was being fulfilled by the Jews that were gathered there on the shore. They heard Jesus' teaching, but they didn't understand it. They saw what Jesus was doing, but the import of it, the eternal and the, the eternal import of all that he was doing wasn't sinking in. And so that was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, which he explains in verse 14. He said, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. This is the curse of... Oh, how do you want to put this? This is the curse of longtime church attenders who have been inoculated against the Word of God. They've heard it so much, so often that it has lost all significance for them on a personal level. Because it just becomes this seasonal thing. You know, oh, we're coming up on Christmas time. Preacher's going to say something about the new birth or the birth of Christ. And 
Okay, the wise men, yeah, I get it. And the angels singing and the shepherds in the fields. Uh, something about the new year. Okay, Easter, stones rolled away. And, and it just becomes old hat. It becomes old hat. And that was, what, that was the case with these folks. They had been raised in the law of Moses. And then here comes the fulfillment of the law himself. Walking, breathing, teaching, touching people's lives, changing people's lives, and doing all and revealing the secrets of the kingdom that had never been revealed to man like they were being revealed here in the Gospels. And it just wasn't connecting. It was just... Right over their head. Right over their head. And so, that's what he was talking about here. In verse 18 forward, he explains the parable of the sower and how it's, it represents the condition of the human heart, whether it's wayside ground, stony ground, thorny ground, or good ground. These are all the different possible conditions of the human heart where the Word of God are concerned. Wayside ground, of course, is the worst because you can't grow anything on wayside ground. It's good for nothing except parking your car when it's time to change a tire. That's all you can do with wayside ground. There are some weeds that'll penetrate that, but that's it. And then thorny ground and stony ground. He explained what those were. Stony ground is that ground that the, the human heart that is unwilling to yield to the Word of God. It'll, it'll let the nice stuff, the easy stuff, the sweet stuff germinate and grow out of that, but uh, not the stuff that's heavy, not the strong meat, nothing that convicts, nothing that demands some kind of a, a change or a reform in our behavior because of what Jesus has done for us. They're unyielding to that. That's the stony ground. Thorny ground is the cares of life coming in and choking out any kind, any good thing that the Word of God tries to, to bring about in their life. The cares of life come in and encroach like thorns and weeds and all of that, they come in and they choke it out just like weeds do. We talked about that a fair amount lately, but that's what they do. And you know that if you've ever had a garden, if you've ever tried to farm anything, grow anything, raise anything at all, you know that you have to be, you really have to be diligent because those weeds will come in and just, they'll take all of the resources, which in this parable would be your time, your money, your thoughts, the affections of your heart, that's what the cares of life, they come in and they just take, 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 and they're never satisfied. They're never satisfied with it. And that's a big, big problem in people's lives today. Even, even among many people that, that uh, they believe in God, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they believe all of that, but the Word of God can, can't ever bear any fruit in their life because it can't even get a foot in the door, because it can't even get a root in the ground, because cares of life. Cares of life. Well, I'd serve God, but. And there's always a but. So there's always something. That was part of this parable. But then he says in verse 23, but he that received seed into the good ground, and it seems like the majority of this parable is negative, and yes, it is, because there are a lot of wrong ways to do things, and there are a lot of bad traps to fall into, but there are very few good ways by comparison. That's why the way that leads to destruction, Jesus says, is broad and is wide, but the way that leads to everlasting life and to the kingdom is narrow and very straight. So it might seem like our options are limited, but really they are the best options, aren't they? 
and they produce the best fruit. So in verse 23, he says, He that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now let me, do, let, me, let me just jump into a little bit of math here, okay? That phrase is very often misunderstood, hundredfold. Or any kind of phrase that has the word fold at the, or word that has the word fold tacked on at the end of it. Like twofold, tenfold, hundredfold, whatever fold. People think that that means, oh, a hundred times. No. Oh, you mean twofold doesn't mean two times? No, it means twofold. It's an exponential increase. Twofold is, what would that be? Two, four. Fourfold would be 16. And so on. A hundredfold would be an enormous number. So when he talks about someone having a heart that is good ground, and the Word of God finds its resting place there, that's the person that hears it, receives it, understands it, embraces it, waters it, nurtures it, guards it, like we're supposed to, all, every one of us do with our hearts. Guard it, because out of it, the Bible says, are the issues of life. That's the person that that does everything that they can to ensure that the Word of God in them grows and sprouts and brings forth fruit. And then what kind of fruit or how much? Well, here you go. Now, we don't all bring forth tremendous amounts, but even a person that brings forth 30-fold, that's huge. And then we were last week we were talking with a brother about it, that when our lives bear fruit by the Word of God, it blesses absolutely everyone because none of us is isolated. None of us is alone. We are all interconnected. Every one of us. And so when one of us is struggling, trust me, other people feel it. And when one of us is strong, then that helps strengthen everyone. It strengthens the whole body. And when we bear fruit, well, that fruit, what's fruit? It's something that hangs off a tree, right? But it's, it's more than that. It's something that it, it, if it falls to the ground... Okay, well, then that seed can deposit in the ground and grow and become another tree, right? That's worst case scenario. Well, what's best case scenario? It gets eaten. It feeds someone else. And then they carry that, and then the seed spreads, and some of it spreads on the fur of animals. We don't want to get into all of that. But the metaphor there is that when your life bears fruit, that fruit feeds other people with its goodness. And then that fruit spreads. And then... We, and we've talked about this many, many times, especially this year. The virtues that we bear in our own lives by the Word of God taking root in us and us cultivating them. And how do you cultivate that? You practice it. The, every virtue that we bear in our life blesses everybody that we know. Even the people that you don't like. <laughs> so you have somebody who's difficult to work with on the job. But if you have a tremendous fruit of patience... Well, they're certainly going to benefit from that, aren't they? And that's just the first example that comes to mind. There are many others. Everyone benefits when people are honest. Everyone benefits when people are long-suffering. Everyone benefits when people are forgiving. Everyone benefits when people are kind. And when people are, well, when people demonstrate, not just feel, but demonstrate love toward one another. Because love is more than just an emotion, isn't it? Love is action. And what does the Bible say concerning love? It is patient. It is kind. It doesn't vaunt itself. Love gives. It doesn't take. 
It doesn't consume. Love gives. That's the real stuff. That's the agape that we've talked about before. Of those four different Greek words for love, which all specify a different quality, a different kind of love. The, the love of uh, parents for their children or children for their parents, brothers and sisters one for another. The love of friends, philia, I believe is what that was. And then there's, of course, there's sexual love that has its place within the bounds of marriage and all of that. But that topmost one, agape, agape or agape, however it's pronounced, that one speaks of the love that is absolutely selfless and absolutely pure, and that is the love that God has for mankind. That's the love that sent Jesus to the cross, and that's the love that binds us to God. That's the love that enables us to serve God because we love Him rather than merely fearing Him. Now, because he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, well, there's things beyond the beginning, aren't there? Okay. Let's move on. After he explains this parable, he goes on to the next one. He says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both, let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but rather the wheat into my barn. So here's the parable, here's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Well, what's a tear? Well, in the context of this, of this gospel, tares are an injurious, invasive weed that when they are young, they look like wheat. Now, tares nowadays, I think, is actually a member of the pea family. I don't know if they are the same thing. I don't think that they are, because peas are something you can at least eat and do something with. Tares in the gospel, you can't do anything with. They're fit for nothing. They're like tumbleweeds. You just wait till they die, dry up and blow away, gather them up, light them on fire, and singe your eyebrows, because that's a hot fire. I don't know if you've ever burned tumbleweeds before. But tares... They look like wheat. And that's why it was a problem. That's why when the servants came and said, hey, we've noticed that there's tares in here. Shall we go out and go ahead and cut them out or root them out? He said, no, because when they're both young, when wheat and tares are both young, they look alike. And so you can't really tell them apart until you've taken them up out of the ground. And so he didn't want to destroy the good wheat with the bad tares. So he says, wait until it all comes to fruition. Give it time. Give it time. Wait till it comes to fruition and then you'll be able to tell. And that's what he says here. Then I'll tell the reapers, go out, gather up the tares first. Gather ye first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now let's jump ahead in this chapter, okay? Because he also renders, he renders later on to his disciples an explanation of this. Let's grab it at verse... 37. So we're jumping ahead a little bit. 
Actually, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. This is after he finished speaking to, to them, the multitude, in parables. He sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came in unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered un, un, and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Okay, all right, that's pretty straightforward. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. So I love it. He's very concise in his explanation. He renders parables because those that are given to understanding, they'll understand it. It makes sense. It's a language that we all speak. But getting down to, you could say, the technical writing of it, he makes it unmistakable and removes any wiggle room for people's private interpretation. He says, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Let's stop right there. Is there any question about the fate of the ungodly? Because Jesus just spelled it out right here. The reapers are the angels, and the, the harvest is the end of the world. And so he's going to send forth his angels, and they're going to reap them up, and they're going to be prepared for the fire, because that's all they will be good for. And the, that's not hate. Let me clear this up right now, just in case that's ever crossed our minds. And I'm sure that it has because it's an old lie from the devil and people latch onto that in a second when they want to find fault and criticize. And then they bang Christians in the head with it when they want to criticize us, right? Well, if God was love, how could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? Really? Has it ever occurred to anyone that God who is love could still be forced to put away evil? Really, and let this sink in deep. Let this sink in nice and deep and take root because then you can answer the fault finder with this when they try to find fault with you. The only reason the tares go into the fire is because there is no other place for them. And they are tares because, one, they were born in sin, as were we all. So this isn't... To, this isn't a supremacy complex talking here. We were all in that condition. They were born in sin, but they stayed in sin. There's the difference. Jesus said that the condemnation of a man is that light has entered into the world, but that people loved darkness rather than light. At no point in Jesus' ministry did he ever say, look, you're a homosexual, so you're going to burn in hell. He never said that. He never said you're an adulterer, so you're going to burn in hell. He didn't say you're a thief, so you're going to burn in hell. He didn't say that for any particular sin that you're going to burn in hell. He said that the condemnation is this, and it wasn't any of these sins. And make no mistake, they are sins. And they are not justifiable, and they are never right, and they are never good, and God does not receive them. But that's not what destroys people. That's not what sends them ruined into a Christless eternity. Those sins are the fruit of the life of of unsaved people. They sin because they are sinners. They are not sinners because they sin. Do we see that? Does that, does that shine a light on it? 
people do. And this goes back to some of our earlier teachings this year and messages this year about being resulting in doing and how uh, a state of being is what results in what we are and, and therefore how we think and therefore what we do. If we're wicked on the inside, we're going to do wicked on the outside. We following? That's the problem of the human condition. Adam and Eve sold us out, put us where we are, thanks. All right, but now that we're in it, sure, that wasn't our fault, but light came into the world. And I know that we're, we're, we're taking this parable and we're taking earlier teachings of Christ and we're sort of sticking them together, but they fit together because they relate directly to one another. And so light came into the world, meaning the gospel and the gospel message, the Savior, but people, even after being presented the gospel, many of them still love darkness and therefore reject the light. And that's what brings about the condemnation. And thus they continue in their sins, they live in their sins, they die in their sins, and they are lost in their sins. So the tares in this parable, it's not a case of, well, I was predestined to be a tear. Oh, no, you weren't. Oh, no, you were not. You were predestined to hear, by the grace of God to hear the word of God and then make a choice. By the grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit drawing on the human heart. And so, well, nobody can resist. Nobody can resist that power. Nobody could, no one's capable of resisting the Holy Spirit. That's not true. And if you go over to the book of Acts, you find that that's proven right there. Because Stephen, the martyr, or who was about to be martyred at the very end of that sermon, said unto the Jews to whom he was preaching, he said, Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. And so people are more than capable of resisting the, the drawing and the leading and the wooing of the Holy Spirit who leads men to Christ if they will yield. So yes, there is a choice that's involved. These tares weren't predestined to be tares and to die tares and to be thrown into the fire. That's never how it worked. The point of it is that if you apply the gospel right to this parable, they had a chance to be wheat if they wanted to be as do every single one of us. I mean, you can do what you want. You can choose. Every one of us is capable of choosing and saying, you know what? I don't think I want to live this life. God, Christ, Christianity, righteousness, the whole path of light thing, kingdom of heaven. Nah. And we could just take your Bible, stick it in a bag, throw it on your shelf, and head out into sin. Had more than one friend that's done that over the, over the years, over the 25 years I've lived for God. But in this parable, we see their fate. The tares will ultimately go into the fire. It's not because God hates them. He doesn't. It's because they are tares. And they are tares because they have decided that that's what they're going to stay. It is a free will decision. I know about the depravity of the human, the depravity of the human heart, the complete depravity of the human mind and all of that. And the only thing that can change that is Christ. But when the light of the gospel is shown on that, a person has a choice. Yes, I want that, or no, that's not for me. That's a free will decision. Let's move on. Verse 44. Well, we didn't finish reading it. 
The Son of Man shall send forth His angels. Verse 41. And they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend. Actually, let's back up a little bit further because I didn't continue. The field is the world. We already said that. Verse 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. So the fire he's talking about there isn't even hell. He's talking about the lake of fire. That's where all sin, wickedness, evil, and those that did and lived in them will go to. That includes the devil, the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, all those cats that you read about over in the Revelation, as well as everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. That's Revelation also. Witches, sorcerers, people that fooled around with familiar spirits and dark arts, which were a capital offense back in the Old Testament. They're going to meet their same end. Everyone that stayed in sin is going to go there. So, as therefore, let's get back to where we were. Son of man shall send forth his angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. So he's going to gather everything that is bad and everybody that is bad. Does that make sense? All the acts, all the things, and all the people that were involved in it all. And so he's not separating the deed from or the, the deed from the doer, the act from the committer. It's all going to be bundled up together as tares, and then off into the lake of fire it goes. And yes, it's a horrible thing, and we don't rejoice in that, and we don't like thinking about it, we don't meditate on that a whole lot, but that's the justice of a divine God. And so we can say again and again, God is love, God is love, God is love. And it's true and we mean it. But be warned, the day is coming that God who is love is still going to be forced to be just. There is no escape from that except by the blood of Almighty God, a son rather, Jesus. That's the only escape. And that escape occurs now while we are living this is the hour, this is the day, the years, or however many years we may have in this life. This is the time that God has given us to choose whether to be wheat or tares. And once we come to the knowledge of the fact, the conscious knowledge of the fact, man, I'm not wheat at all. I'm a nasty, rotten tear. I'm an invasive, injurious weed. I'm poisoning the world instead of bringing forth good fruit unto the world. That's what weeds do. They kill every good thing around, right? Because they consume all of the resources. And some of them can even toxify the soil. In some ways, pine trees are like that, right? They drop all their pine needles on the ground and acidifies the soil. You can't grow a blade of grass under a pine tree, most breeds of pine anyway, because the ground's too acidic. And not to say that pine trees are weeds, but it's all metaphors. But they all speak of a, of a very real condition. Do we want to be wheat or do we want to be tares? I want to be wheat. Because when he gathers up the wheat, we're not going into the fire. We're not going into the fire. If we are the wheat in the Lord's field, we're not going into the fire. He says, moving on, verse 42, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Man, how about that? 
say, well, that sounds kind of self-righteous. Well, well, why is that? Why should, why should we be, why should we be hesitant to identify as wheat if we actually are? All right, that's not being proud. That's being self-honest, and we've talked about self-honesty, haven't we? That's one of the most important kinds of honesty: honesty, honesty towards God, honesty toward others, and honesty towards ourselves. And that's not pride unless pride is actually present. Now say you're good at a trade. Is it pride if you understand and realize that you are good at a trade? Or is that just self-honesty? But you know the difference between that and being puffed up with that knowledge, right? When I'm the best fill in the blank that there is walking around. It's like listening to every rap artist ever. Every one of them is always the best. Just ask them, they'll tell you. Many times. In three minutes, or however long those things last. If we're wheat, let's be wheat. And let's not be ashamed of it. Let's just be the best wheat we can be. And stay humble, not proud. Let God work in our lives. Let our hearts always remain good ground. There we are, reaching back to the previous parable. That's last week's lesson. Let our hearts be good ground. We choose, you, every one of us as individuals, we choose what kind of ground our heart can be. Now, it's not always easy. And, it just, and if we may just leap back for a couple moments, okay, let's, let's go back to that previous parable about the, about the good ground and the other types of ground that weren't good, you know? Sometimes you discover, boy, my heart, my, my ground isn't very good at all. I've got a lot of rocks in there because there's a lot of unwillingness in me where the Word of God is concerned. Okay, well, good, you've noticed that, but whoever said you had to stay that way? All right, it's not like it's in your chromosomes. You're born that way, and so you're going to be that way your whole life, like gender actually is, yes, Okay. You're born a male. You're male no matter what surgeon mutilates you. Really. Female, same way. It's not the same as that. The condition of our heart, we're capable of changing. And God is capable of changing if we'll let Him. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. Say you've got stony ground in your heart. You don't want it to be that way. I don't want to be this stubborn. Okay, then start yielding. We start yielding. And the Word says... Be this, okay, I want to be that. And a good example of that, let's, we, jump, we, could, we could jump over to uh, Galatians 5. That's uh, works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit, right? But Galatians 5, yes, he talks about the works of the flesh, but we're not going to talk about those. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And they talk about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and, and things like that. You say, well, I don't have any of those going on. Or I don't have much of those going on, but I want more of those going on in me. I want to be more like Jesus. And that involves having these fruit in my life. God, I'm willing well, the moment you're willing, rocks start flying out of your garden, right? And then the moment you say, you know what, I want to be more like Jesus, but I've got too many things going on in my life that are encroaching and are consuming all of my resources. God, I want to be more like Jesus. And so 
you get your spiritual pickaxe and you get your spiritual shovel and pruning shears and you go out there. You know what I'm saying. Again, metaphorically, symbolically, in your heart, in your mind, you determine it. And you start, uh, you go into the, the, the garden of your heart and you mark your barricades and you say, you shall not pass. We're right there again. Just like we were talking about last week. Saying that to the various cares of your life. You can come this far and no further. I'll be in the house of God and I'll be what God wants me to be. And I'm going to fill my head with God's word because there's so many things that we can fill our heads with in today's day and age, isn't it? Even a hundred years ago, there were just that you couldn't just type it into a keyboard and pull it up on your monitor. Okay, and I'm not preaching about the evils of the Internet or the, the Internet being evil. The Internet is not evil. There's just a lot of evil on it. The Internet is a tool just like books. What's a library but a small internet, right? Okay? And so we fill our heads with either good things or bad things. What you put in your head is what eventually finds its way in your heart. And what's in your heart is your treasury, isn't it? And this even leaps further ahead in, in, this, in this chapter to, um, to round about verse 52 about... Um, Householders that bring forth out of the treasure things new and old. And we'll get to that by and by. But it's up to us. Do we want to be wheat? Do we want to be tares? Do we want ground our heart? Do we want the garden of our heart to be good ground? Or are we content to leave it stony, thorny, or even that useless wayside stuff? But you know what? Even wayside ground that is so hard, compacted, good for nothing as far as growing anything, even wayside ground, if you set a plow into that stuff, will break it up. And once you break it up, that changes its quality. Because broken ground, plowed ground, is ground that can then receive seed. It's up to us. Not to turn this into a preaching service, but these are the teachings of our Lord. It's always up to us. Well, I've got, I had good ground in my heart a year ago, but just lately things haven't been really going too well. That's exactly how the devil puts it in our minds to think of it, right? It's not, oh, I've allowed myself to slip into something that is unedifying or isn't good, or I've even allowed myself to be overtaken in a sin. He always puts it in our mind uh, in words like, I'm just not doing that well lately right? He smooths it over, makes it comfy and just, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm not really on my A game right now. Well, there's some rocks that have come into the garden. The devil's come in and he's sown some tares amidst your wheat. Or there's some thorns that have encroached, weeds. But we have it within us by the grace of God, by the word of God, to undo that. That's why we're told again and again to be diligent, to keep our hearts with diligence, to walk circumspectly, not letting any of this old stuff back in, not letting the old man rise up again uh, from his crucified place with Christ, not letting the old you come back in and pollute the new you. Let's keep it straight. Let's keep the ground good. Let's be wheat. Let's be wheat. And it'll feed others. 
and it'll glorify God. The whole body of Christ is stronger for it and even the world can benefit from it and they'll see and they will know it is a reality in your life and that it is more than just some empty, wordy religion. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.